Hello and welcome to Adventures in AI, where the InsightFlow team members share things that have caught our attention over the past week and talk about our experiences in the world of AI. I'm Giles. I'm Rich. And I'm Graham. Uh, Giles, you're uh, going to do Dr. Doolittle on us today, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm afraid I'm going a little bit off-piste on this one. Um, so there's a US-based not-for-profit called Earth Species that's looking to use machine learning to decode communication in other species. Or to put it slightly more simply, they, they want to train a machine to listen to and talk to animals and birds. Um, so if, if they're actually successful, then uh, as, as you were mentioning, Graham, the story of Dr. Doolittle uh, who is a doctor who could speak to animals in their own language may finally come true. And I think, you know, this would be revolutionary for veterinary science and our wider understanding of the world. Uh, and I, I love the idea. I mean, one one of the species that they've talked about is analysing whale song. And so um, it, being able to speak to whales, birds and other animal uh, animals and mammals, um, I think would be amazing. So although uh, I don't know, and, and they, they weren't sure whether they would actually know what they were talking about in the languages that they're speaking, because obviously the, the, the machines can understand the patterns, but they won't necessarily know exactly what those patterns mean. Um, and, and this could be quite dangerous. So we all know what happens when humans who don't speak the same language start talking to each other. Um, so who knows, we may even start the first interspecies war. It's such a brilliant idea. I love the fact that uh, we are learning to shout, at least intelligibly, loudly, but have absolutely no idea what we're going to say. Though presumably, um, if we do start the war, we will can sort of reverse it and use the AI to reverse it and actually then start the peace process. As well, it could put a real different spin on your um, your meditation music if you're listening to whale song or if you actually find out what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, imagine they're actually saying, God, those bloody humans. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, bringing it back a little bit to to why why is that relevant to uh, th this particular podcast about AI more focused on business? Um, I think there are some interesting points on it that um, shed light on the nature of machine learning-based models, um, which we see more widely in, in the kind of applications of AI that we have. Um so, so first of all, they're language agnostic. So I think one of the biggest strengths of large language models is they can converse in many different human languages, as well as code, data structures, and other syntaxes. And, and you know, un, unlike many humans, they can switch between them seamlessly, which I think is a real superpower. Uh, yeah, I think on that point with coding, I'm I'm somebody that has never coded at all, but I've been able to kind of semi-masquerade as a coder through using ChatGPT, and that's both at work and kind of personal projects as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so I think the other thing was, you know, if something has a pattern, then machine learning properly trained will find that pattern and will allow you to replicate using that pattern. Um, uh, you know, because essentially what the model is is just a prediction model. So it's going, well, what's the most likely next word? Um, or autocomplete, I think you like to call it, Rich. Um, so, so I thought this particular kind of use case of of AI was just a brilliant illustration of how we can start thinking about generative AI models 
as tools that enable us to speak multiple languages and different dialects without actually needing to learn them. Yeah, and I think actually this experiment really neatly explains the concept of why large language models work for language, but actually they're, they're pretty naff for maths. And, and if you think about it, maths is like the universal language, uh, so to speak. So if we met aliens tomorrow, we wouldn't be able to speak to them, but they'd know what pi is. So if it's a universal language, why is why are large language models not so good at it? And, and the answer really lies in, if you think about, if, if you ask someone a, to kind of a, ask someone a text or verbal based question, there are actually thousands of possible answers um, that they could give, or I guess thousands of possible answers that the whale could give in terms of the arrangement of words and still be correct. But when you're talking about maths problems, so there's usually what kind of one answer, and maybe there's, if you're lucky, two ways to get there. Um, so what everybody said before, and by that I mean all of the things that the large language model has been trained on, they probably don't help get you to the answer because you need that exact um, answer that's for your question. Uh, Rich, you've brought maths into this. That's that's very boring. I, I'm going back to the <laughs> the idea of talking to animals. Um, I think I think we need to um, we absolutely need it to happen because I want Douglas Adams to be right and to prove that actually mice are the most intelligent creatures on earth. I, I still think it's dolphins, but uh, but yeah, we'll we'll see. We maybe we'll find out. Um, anyway, so Graham, I know you wanted to talk about big, scary, serious things like the global economic and commercial impact of of AI. Yeah, moving on from mice running the world, it's back to the economists running the world. I mean, I think um, I want to look at the, the, the impact of AI. We're talking about AI. We're talking about AI on this podcast. Lots of people are talking about AI. And I think what's really interesting is that we're recognizing the ability of Gen AI to make pictures, to write creative text, to write music. And it's really caught the imagination. I think everybody who's at all interested has had a play with Dali or with with various of the tools and and sort of or or, or asked um chat gpt to write a, a a sad poem in french about the arrival of february you know it does all these things but i think what i don't see talked about perhaps quite to the same degree commonly is the commercial and economic impact and it's worth talking about it really is worth talking about because we're all living in a world that I think is going to change. I don't think there's any real doubt about that. And, you know, the the impact for business and therefore for people looking at business and managing business and leading business um, is going to be found. And, 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 and there's the detail of the commercial impact, the facts. Yeah, I mean, I, I think just, just thinking about the number of different use cases that we're looking at for, for AI within business specifically, the impact could be absolutely huge. And I think it's it's really um, down to the specifics of individual roles and tasks that can be done by AI that frees up humans to do other things, hopefully more value-added things and more interesting things that, you know, the, the impact on the economy overall i think will be massive yeah and i mean inevitably mckinsey goldman sachs forbes are all writing papers and in fact i've been reading papers this week from those three in particular 
and that those papers have been spread out for the, over the last six months or so, um, and we'll provide links to them all in the in the details. Now, clearly, because I'm mentioning them, they all believe the commercial uh, impact is going to be massive. But I think some of the stuff that they're drawing on is really interesting. So the Goldman Sachs paper pointed out that 60% of today's workers are employed in occupations that didn't exist in 1940s, 60%. That's eight years ago, Graham. I think none of us were alive then. Although um, I guess maybe some of Charles's whales may have been. <laughs> yes, or or um, Iceland sharks. Um <laughs> but but yes it is a yes it is 80 years ago yeah and you're quite right but but i think that um one of the things we've seen is that the change has been very rapid over the last 20 to 30 years and there you know there's a great fun list of the um occupations that used to exist that no longer exist like like lift attendant and various others but i know yeah it's it's very much a theme that 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 the digital revolution brought in roles that we'd never heard of before that are now commonplace so so this idea of of a very rapid changeover in what the workforce looks at is i think really profound and 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 it is something that we need to think about need to talk about and probably need to plan for um goldman also reckons that ai is going to raise the global gdp by seven percent um, now, we don't know where that rise is exactly going to be, and it is almost certain that it's going to be asymmetric um, and spread unevenly around the place. But I think it's I think it's incumbent on us to, to, to try and identify where that might be, where the opportunities are, and where our own businesses should be going. And the the, the final bit I'm going to pull out for the moment from the Goldman paper is that they reckon that two-thirds of all occupations will be wholly or partly automated. Now, the partly bit is important. Some people's jobs won't be affected very much. They will do a little bit through 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 using Gen AI or AI. Um, but it is absolutely certain that people, that most people will be affected in their own, own current roles, that their, 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 their daily job will be partially or of course if it's wholly automated they will be out of, out of the job and i think that you know yeah reading reading what goldman have to say it's it's very it's very compelling um but they're also looking at where growth comes and and there's sort of a couple of ways of approaching this so yeah goldman looking at where that gdp increase comes from and they reckon that there are are sort of three major areas where the first one is um, to, through new production and application releases, through through new ways of doing things, um, and I think that that's the one that feels least talked about, actually, in, in many many ways. Um, this idea that says that it's not just, AI won't just help us do what we do well today, but AI will change how we do things and improve improve workflows and processes so i think there's a really interesting piece around that um they feel that there's there's going to be um growth from 
in business for charging premiums for AI integrated offerings. Now, I'm not sure that I believe this one so much. Uh, the idea that says that that we can charge more because we are using AI against the context of saying that everything's going to change and everybody's going to be using your AI. So I'm, I'm not sure um, that that one feels as plausible but it's a really interesting idea so, and certainly possibly so so graham i think um uh, you know it's, it's something we covered uh last week in the podcast actually around the pricing for for github in particular and if you look at where these things are being priced at the moment i would say that one feels like it's it's not backed up by what we've seen so far about pricing for ai yeah that makes complete sense and and i mean i think it's i think that's optimistic um and I, I don't, i'm not entirely sure it's logically consistent but then and the final area their their feeling is where there's growth available is that prices will increase over time because ai delivers additional value now again it's a really interesting discussion and so you know the first question where does ai add value can we add value through ai and can we add value for which we can charge more um is a really fascinating and proper discussion but again i suspect that it's a relatively short-term effect i suspect that that ai added value will become the norm um and whether we can we can we can we can approach it with an inflationary eye or not i don't know so so that i have two questions i suppose related to this so the the first one is um is there an argument that says actually it might have a deflationary impact and the you know a a a contraction impact because people are employed less and uh the models are doing more of the work at a low cost and therefore you don't get the increase that you would get otherwise um so that's one possible uh, outcome of it, um, and the, and the other one is, well, actually, looking on a more positive note, if AI enables us to achieve things ten times faster, uh, which which I think it does, then actually we can get ten times more things done, and therefore actually it's more about the number of cycles in the economy than it is about the um, the individual value of items that are purchased if that makes sense so i I think you know honestly i think it could go either way but but i think it's interesting just to look at how it might go and what the different routes are i think it makes complete sense and 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 you know you you're reminding me of of all the economic questions and conversations around the introduction of the industrial age and and this move from from artisan small batch production to very efficient machine production across a whole variety of different industries. But if you take weaving as a as quite a good example of that, I mean, I think what you probably saw there is is it feels plausible again in, in that there's a there's a short term um, deflationary impact as as the 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 new bulk of of of, of materials were coming out of the industrialized looms against what artisan weavers could have created beforehand but the market catches up the market finds new uses for the materials new new markets for the materials that that people 
for instance, who would never have considered buying really high-end, high-quality cottons beforehand because they were just so expensive, suddenly started to buy them and started to find that they could use these higher-grade products and got used to using these higher-grade products. And I suspect that sort of the, the, the deflationary dip it was very quickly replaced by an inflationary or, or a growth um, increase as, as people then suddenly started to use these things. And, and that feels like a conversation that's sensible in terms of AI. You know, there's a whole lot of things that it does, a whole lot of things that it could do, there's a whole lot of things it's delivering. And it will take us a while to catch up with with what those are and what that looks like. And then suddenly we'll go, this is stuff we need. This become, this moves from being a luxury to an everyday good, or this moves from being something we'd never considered using before to something that we have that we use every day. So I think that I think that I think you're quite right to, to identify that. I think there's some some really interesting conversations around that. And, and yeah, I hasten to add, I am not an economist. So so there's going to be people out there who howling howling abuse at their their podcast for my ineptitude around that. But I suspect that there's a sense of conversation, and it's possibly something we might might return to. The uh, the thing we all know about economists, though, Graham, is if you put five of them in a room, you'll get <laughs> ten different opinions. <laughs> That's very true, and 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 I have actually done some econ- e- economics in my in my past history, not terribly successfully, it must be said. Um, the, the 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 interesting thing here, though, and 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 actually following on this theme about this impact and what's going to happen for for large scale transformation happen, I think businesses and and this is very much from coming from the goldman sachs paper businesses will will need to make significant investment and upfront investment in physical digital and human capital and and if you look at each one of those in turn and 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 reversing it actually you you know the investment in people is going to need to be quite profound and substantial we're going to have to change and train and create new um, professions or certainly skills we're going to have to um, manage them differently and we're going to have to create teams in different ways all that of course requires um, investment of all sorts of things but but you know yeah effort and money being being the most important parts of that um the relationship between AI and digital is a really incestuous, strange one. They're very, very close cousins, and you know, as we increase the use of of AI, we are we are increasing the use of and or changing the use of how we're using digital. And you know, we've talked already on 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 previous episodes of the podcast about the relationship between the digital revolution and um, the AI revolution, and I think that the investment in digital is likely to change whether it will increase or decrease i'm not sure you say but it will certainly change and then finally that idea of of the straight physical are we are we going to be talking to ai um entities at the point of sale in a shop are we going to be talking to ai entities in our taxis who are driving us or, or to or interacting with ai entities on buses or trains or what have you and i'm, I'm sure there's a huge change to the physical environment coming up um and on the back of this goldman research they're estimating that ai 
investment will approach $100 billion in the US and $200 billion globally by 2025, less than 18 months away. Um, and I think, I think that so, you know, what we have to look at... Graham, I'm sorry, just to jump in on those numbers. I think you're, you're very right to talk about um, AI as a, as a revolution. And those are some really big numbers from Goldman Sachs. But I wanted to, to point out to maybe someone, if you're listening to this and you're a bit on the fence about AI... There's actually very low barriers to entry in terms of getting up and started and see, seeing what it can do. And, and that can be literally as little as signing up for an account, going on Bard, Bing or, or ChatGBT. Uh, and it can actually make real impacts within as little as like five or 10 minutes. So I guess don't be scared by these numbers. I think that, yes, all these is going to come true. But um, there's something you can do in the next five minutes to, to explore it yourself. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and carrying on this thing, and and, and th- talking about the going back to the the, the human capital, um, Goldman Sachs in that survey, so they were surveying um, Fortune 500 CEOs. Seventy two percent of the people they surveyed reckoned that within five years AI would mean that they'd use, they'd need fewer staff. Now I think this is a really interesting go, looping back to this idea that of 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 the professions that existed and don't anymore and the professions that didn't exist and do these days i i wonder whether they're um overestimating the ability to cut workforce in that survey and underestimating the ability to have to generate new tasks and um new types of people and new types of 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 team um to deal with ai so I, I wonder if, if if there's a piece there that says that all they can see as CEOs of Fortune 500 companies is the replacement of of tasks that humans do, and are not seeing the um, the the requirement to manage, to change, to do things in a different way. And I think there's something quite interesting around that whole conversation. Yeah, I think I mean that that for me is is again something we've covered in previous episodes around how should you think about AI and should you think about it as a way of saving cost or should you think about it as a, a way of embracing opportunity? Uh, I, I think, I mean, if, take, take a specific example of customer success. Um, if 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 all of your competitors are using AI to deliver a really personalized service to your customers, um, and you're just using it to try and cut costs, then your business won't survive very long. So I, th- I think it's a relatively short-sighted view to say that actually the opportunity for AI is to cut costs rather than serve customers better and deliver new products and you know, and really innovate, um, because I think that's where its biggest strengths are, not cost-cutting. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's really useful. And in fact, it, you know, it leads on to the, the f- final thing that I want to talk about. So, so Forbes, in this case, um, talking about, about this, and, and their, their paper has some really, really interesting information and, and, and insight. But I think the one I want to pull out of it is, is, is where, according to Forbes, um, AI is happening at the moment across the business. And they've they pulled out a big long list, but I want to pull out uh, out five different areas. So they're talking about the top one is absolutely customer service, and I think we know that that's that's chatbots, that's the the, the whole um, customer non service 
piece. And, and, and I think that is definitely an area that, you know, back to what you've just said, Giles, I think that is definitely an area where people wrongly think of it as cost saving and call it better service. Our experience is that that's not true. AI used yeah. really well probably can deliver fantastic customer service. I'm not sure it's there yet. There is customer service, cybersecurity and fraud management, accounting, inventory management and supply chain ops, and finally, of course, to write and translate and create content. Now, if you look at those five areas, you're covering a huge chunk of every business, customer service, cybersecurity, the IT, accounting, inventory management, supply chain, and then the, the any part of content writers, so it's marketing and sales and so forth. And what what Forbes are basically saying there is already nearly all of organisations are being impacted in some way. And and I've chosen ones where you know these are the higher use ones. If you look down down the list, there are a variety of other bits and pieces where you can start to say, okay, I can see that that's going to grow. Where for instance, HR and recruitment and those those other bits and pieces. So I think I think you know the the the, the thing that. I want to pull out of all these all these papers and pull out of what I think people are saying. Uh, it's it's probably three points. One, it's happening and it's happening already quite in quite a large scale, and it's going to be huge. There's a vast amount of money. I think that the idea that every business and every um, occupation within the business in some way is going to be touched is profound and i think that yeah as i often say that people need to be thinking about this and planning for it and and we need to slightly get away from the shiny fun it's a bit like magic stuff of dali and and the various other bits however cool they are and they are magnificently cool i think we have to be have to be driving conversations to say there is a much more serious thread to this that we need to be looking at. And we need to be looking at it in terms of our own businesses. And we also probably need to be looking at it in terms of our own careers and our own um, set of skills and aptitudes. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely the, the case. I, I suppose the parallel I draw, uh, you mentioned the the loom um, and you know that was the, the start of industrializing uh, industrial processes. Uh, and really what we're talking about here is industrializing knowledge processes. So the, the list of things there require knowledge, which has traditionally been a human um, domain and now now isn't anymore. Um, so that, that's yeah, fascinating stuff. Thank, thanks for that, Graham. Um, so Rich, I know you want to talk about cheating. What do you want to say about cheating? Yes, exactly. Well, I, I'm here to tell you all um, that you should be cheating on your homework. And I guess, so the reason behind that is using AI often feels like you're cheating. And there's, I guess, typically a, a natural aversion to that. But I actually think the more important question is what actually is cheating in the world of AI? And so I, I want to kind of help set the tone a little bit of, of why I wanted to talk about this um, and why you should be cheating on your homework. And so last week I explored the art of getting AI generated content to sound like it was written by a human. And it actually occurred to me afterwards that a, a slightly Machiavellian consequence of that 
process that I just taught is that I've just given people a, a, a method to slip past the eyes of AI detection tools, such as the kind of those that are used by quite a lot of schools or universities. And I did actually test it and it does work for those that, <laughs> that do actually want to know. But that got me thinking, like, is employing AI really, I guess, akin to cheating? Now, I think the notion of feeding your English lit essay title into an AI and then nonchalantly submitting the answer as your own work is without a doubt a shortcut that circumvents, I guess, the fundamental aspects of learning. But to me, that's not really using AI. I, I, that's just being lazy. That's just like copying your mate's homework. Um, when I talk about using AI, if so say if I were to use the English lit essay as an example, imagine instead you're now dedicating an hour to a discussion with a literary expert. And that expert's got access to every paragraph, sentence and word of the text that you're studying, along with literally billions of real examples of, of language usage and meaning all of that at their fingertips, accessible in microseconds. You could then spend that hour debating that literature with the expert, questioning tons of assumptions, refining your understanding. And then to top it off at the end, the expert distills all of that wonderful, I guess, collective wisdom that you've come up with together into an essay that captures all the perspectives and, and nuance of the conversation you've just had. I think, Rich, there's a there's a there's, there's actually a question here. I mean, I've, I've I've been fascinated by AI in education for a while, and 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 come from a family of educationists, so this is a sort of ongoing conversation. But the the idea that the essay is is the end point is kind of wrong. Um, the essay is is there to just demonstrate different thinking. So I think you know what you've just talked about is actually an incredibly good educational process, and an incredibly good process for anything. And I, I, I'm, I'm wary of those people who criticise AI because it makes writing essays easier, because it feels as though they're not understanding what education is and, and why we write essays. And, and I think that actually, you know, you can kind of put that parallel into you know, why do you write essays? And that whole conversation also goes into a conversation that says, why do you use AI? and and that what comes from that yeah i think you're right and, and actually with education i think what we're really after it's that ability to think critically and you can do that with your own personal ai tutor um and come to a conclusion um and i think when you put it like that i actually think the process of education's it's it's kind of not only preserved but it's actually enriched and the only thing that you're bypassing is time and i think it, if that's cheating, to me, it's only cheating in the sense that it's, I don't know, it's a cheat code to success. So I don't know about you two, but I definitely prefer going to work with max health, invisibility and God mode activated. Well, I think for, for me, this is about fundamentally what is an education system there to do. And, you know, our education system was set up in as a result of the industrial revolution or the, the majority of it, certainly the public education system as a way of training people to be workers and uh, professionals in, in that society. And actually, as soon as you start upending what skills are needed and how people will do those roles, then you have to rethink the education system as well. Um, and so is it going to be more important for me in 
three, four, five years time to be able to drive an AI? Or is it going to be more important for me to be able to read a book and write an essay from it? Um, and I would go for the former rather than la the latter personally, uh, which is not to say that reading a book won't still be useful and a nice pastime, but, but I think it won't be the thing that drives the economy forward. It won't be the thing that, you know, enables people to function well in the workplace and, and to, to compete effectively in the, in the workplace. Yeah. I saw, I saw the thing, um, that completely supports that, but that I thought was great. Um, and I think it was a tweet I saw and I'll try and look it out and, and, and reference it. But the tweet that said, said that the, the brilliant teacher who had got fed up with the students cheating possibly or using AI and it had had set homework as here is an AI prompt, take the output that the AI produces from this prompt and criticize it. And that feels to me to be much more, A, very forward thinking and very sensible, but B, much more about why we're, why we're doing this stuff, why we're, why we're in education of learning to think and think in different ways. Um, it also is hilariously subversive of those students who are trying to cheat using AI. Yeah, I love, love that part. Yeah, I think it's funny. You'll never be able to fully stop students cheating, so why not embrace it and put a little twist on the question? Um, and actually, if, as we're saying, people are going to be using AI um, in their day-to-day -day jobs, then I think it's a perfect time to start to introduce that and, and introduce, actually, the AI process of, create, of creating things because there are ways to do it correctly and ways to do it wrongly as well. Yeah, I think it was probably 10 or 15 years ago where schools started to embrace computers and actually go, oh, okay, maybe you shouldn't use an exercise book to write your essay in. You should you should do it on a computer because that's what you're going to be using when you're in the workplace. So I, I see this as being a similar kind of transition, uh, it, but it is more fundamental because actually the the nuts and bolts of what you're taught in school is is changing. Um, and I think also the other sort of observation I would have is if you think of the modern workplace, because of the speed of technical or technological innovation, most people in work don't just start with the knowledge that they had from university or from whatever qualifications they've got and then um, stop learning at that point. Most people now have to continue learning through their entire career and whether that's skills or whether it's things that, that knowledge or whatever. Um, and I think that in the world of AI, it's actually a really helpful tool to help for that continuous learning. Certainly, you know, in terms of programming, I'm constantly using the advice of the AI to help me figure out how to do something or how to use a particular library of of software you mean you're not not inventing all the brilliant stuff that goes into insight flow giles oh yes i am sorry yeah absolutely inventing all of it building it all from scratch <laughs> no that would uh, why, why would i want to do that that would be stupid it's much better to stand on the shoulder of giants rich it's rich isn't this still part of that thing i mean i am old enough to remember the very point at which calculators were first allowed in in science exams at school and i remember yeah, you know, there was this thing that said you can have a normal calculator but you're not allowed a scientific calculator that gives you access to 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 the um log tables and all of that sort of stuff 
and this sense that oh were we cheating using a calculator and and as Giles sort of touched on earlier you know this this idea that that we move from from writing to computers in fact I know that Pearson and AQA which is two of the big UK exam boards have this year for the first time actually introduced exams that will be done purely digitally or online or whatever uh, which kind of to me it blows my mind slightly that this hasn't happened before um, but it's not cheating and I think that I think the, the point around for those cases clearly it's not cheating if the exam boards say it's not cheating it's definitely not cheating um, but it feels this is so, inevitable and natural so the um, so I worked with a company 10 years ago at least um, that were providing exams using remote proctoring which is that the kind of method that you you can allow that but it was for professional qualifications in in the IT sector so so it's been around for quite a while um, it's just uh, as as always with the future not evenly distributed what it actually, I think you're totally right Graham, both Graham, Graham and, and Giles and, and the thing that it reminded me of was I think it was the very first intro to my university course they told us don't use Wikipedia you can't trust what's on the internet and and I think now it's kind of quite widely held belief that in terms of a, as a source of information wikipedia is probably w one of the best there is because it's got all the sources there sources there in the first place and in terms of what you could find on the internet nowadays it's probably nothing that's completely um, um exempt from any bias rich is it cheating to use um wikipedia so i, I don't think it's cheating to use wikipedia and, and but the caveat to that is You've got all the sources underneath it, so it's it's your fault if you got it something wrong and di and didn't double check it. So so is it cheating if you cite one of the sources and not Wikipedia? Actually, what you should be doing is citing the sources and not the fact that you actually just got it from Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> but in terms of method, yeah, Wikipedia all the way. Uh, I'm not so sure Jimmy Whale would agree with that, but anyway. Uh, so so on that, I think. Um, uh, we've 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 had a good chat about a number of things. So can we talk? To, so talking of Jimmy Whale, um, can AI help us talk to whales? So we've covered that. Uh, we've covered the economic impact and commercial impact of AI, which you know is significant, and there's a lot of money in there. Um, so keep that in mind. Uh, and then then why we should be cheating. So I think you know we've we've really covered quite a lot this week. Um, so thank you. Uh, guys for for your thoughts and your time um, I've been Giles I've been Graham I've been Rich Bye.